name is Sonny Ture. And this is Akita J. You are now listening to the Fire This Time podcast. Fire This Time. We are back once again with episode 31, Aki. Episode 31, 3 1. You know what I'm saying? That's what's up. Understanding knowledge. Yeah, we're happy to be back. And, uh, you know, uh, just like we kick it off, you know what I'm saying? Welcome to all the people. You know what I'm saying? Whether this is your first time listening, you're a long time listener, uh, you know, welcome to this space. You know what I'm saying? Go ahead and welcome the people out here. You know, welcome back again. As I said before, you know what I'm saying? We ain't been here in a little bit, but we still here. You know what I'm saying? We still trying to give you that fire and stuff. Sometimes we got to let the wood kindle and set and dry and all of that stuff before we give it to you. But um, we definitely here today to uh, continue what we've been doing, you know, which is educate the people and have some real conversations, some shit that we can talk about and dwell on and think on. Yeah. Maybe even educate the folks. Yeah, you know, it's it's that, you know, we I, I like what you said. We're here to educate folk, you know, but in a way that is conducive to, you know, us. and where The way we you can from. digest it. You know what I'm saying? It's where, where we come from, you know what I'm saying? You know what I'm saying? But, but um, the big topics for today, just to talk about the, what we're going to talk about, the big topics, you know, we're going to talk about a little bit about critical race theory. Yeah. Uh, that's been in the news big time, you know what I'm saying? And, uh, you know, so we're going to cover some of critical race theory, kind of introduce it and kind of talk about uh, some of its, uh, you know, uh, what what the left is doing to it, the, the liberals are doing the critical race theory, mm-hmm. and also, of course, the right-wing attack, the conservative attack on critical race theory that we're seeing. Yeah. It's a lot more complex than I think the mainstream news can, can ever communicate. So, uh, yeah, we're going to get into that. Sort of like critical race theory for dummies. <laughs> I don't know about dumb, but yeah, 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 yeah. yeah, yeah. I, I feel you, Aki. Yeah, yeah, yeah. For regular folk who ain't dummies, uh, we also gonna talk about uh, some Franz Fanon. So a few episodes ago, we talked about uh, a chapter of his from a book called "A uh, 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 Dying Colonialism," and the chapter, the first chapter of that book, is called "Beyond the Veil." And so we talked about uh, Fanon and his words on colonialism and gender before. And we're going to retouch on that and kind of connect all these issues together at the end of this episode. So, uh, yeah, stay tuned for that. We're going to get into some, you know, we're going to read an excerpt from the book and talk about some some of what Franz Fanon had to say about um, colonial gender relations, right? Uh, gender relations between the co- co- colonizer and the, and the colonized. Colonial tactics. Oh, yeah. You know what I'm saying? Colonial tactics and working strategy that they do mm-hmm. and use. So Fanon says some, you know, real... Interesting things that even people that supposedly read Fanon, you know what I'm saying, miss out on or, or are unwilling to incorporate into what Fanon is saying. But it's all right, we, we, you we, know, we, you miss all the stuff sometimes. That's true, that's true. But some people are more deliberate, but I feel what you're saying as well. <laughs> but, you know, we're going to talk about all that, you know. So, uh, with that being said, uh, let's actually kick it off with this week's fire, Rocky. Yeah, this week's fire, you know, we're going to give a salute to an Algerian brother. Yes, sir. An Olympian, you know what I'm saying? Judo athlete. Uh, hopefully, I don't butcher his name, but uh, Fethi Noreen. You know, he's choosing to draw out of the, 20, the 2020 Tokyo Olympics rather than face the Israeli comp- competitor. You right. He's doing this in solidarity. So, yeah, so I think, uh, I don't know why they still calling these the 2020 Tokyo Olympics. This article is from 2021. Yeah, but it's calling the twenty. It said the twenty twenty Tokyo. I guess that's because it was postponed. Yeah, because of the COVID. Okay, okay. Uh, but COVID. yeah, Aki, uh, I, I sent this to you, and I, I agree. This is dope right here. I, I love how this 
I love how this brother stood tall on, on his frame, you know what I'm saying? You know, he, uh, he's, you know, standing in solidarity with the Palestinians, which which makes sense to me, being from Algeria, you know? Mm-hmm. They normally have stood in solidarity with uh, the Palestinians and their cause. Mm-hmm. And he was principled enough to put his spot in the Olympics. Oh, hey, you know. I mean, the, 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 you know, political theorists that we just mentioned, Franz Fanon, mm-hmm. of course, did a lot of his work in Algeria. In Algeria. So, and colonialism was done in Algeria, done about the situation in Algeria. Exactly. You yeah. know what I'm saying? So he's writing. So we're actually going to read a work written, that, that is uh, written about colonialism in Algeria and, and also draw lessons from that for our situation here. Yeah. But, so yeah, I, I thought this was, this was also a good connection in terms of that. Yeah. That uh, our brother Fethi right here, you know, chose to stand tall. So he did, and this is a quote from uh, Echo Rourke TV that he gave an interview. He said he decided to withdraw out of conviction because this is the very least we can offer the Palestinian cause, you know? And uh, he's he, he's right, and I, I love how he cast the stakes. You know, the stakes are that high. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? In, in terms of what's going on in Palestine, and uh, we ain't got the anti-war movement that we did before. You yeah. know what I'm saying? Even though the largest street protest that ever took place in this country took place last year, in all of U.S. history, mm-hmm. the largest recorded street protest took place last year, and it took place at a time when, you know, uh. Protests became less about principled demands yeah. and principled stances and more about performances of feelings. Yeah. Performances of politics instead of actually pursuing those politics. Yeah. So as it becomes less scientific and less actually principled, you see more people join in in America yeah. and in the Western society. So, I mean, he calls, I mean, and I guess I say all that to say we don't see many black American uh, uh, athletes taking those stances like this. But you know what, though? I honestly think that uh, I think he might have been supported maybe by his even his government. I'm I'm sure that's that's possible. I do know I do know that a lot of the people support probably support him. Yeah, I I, I definitely feel what you're saying. You know, I I I, I guess I would say yeah, and Palestinians for sure. You know, I, I guess my point is you know we need to incorporate more of this anti-colonial view. Back into Black American popular politics, true. You know what I'm saying? Where uh, you know we can hear the word colonizer in the Black Panther Marvel movie, yeah. But uh, you know, if if we take that word to be as serious as, as serious as it really is, then Fethi is just scratching the surface. I mean, on look, what the stakes are, and you think and, about our people like Muhammad Ali. Anything that Israel, you know, the Zionist force that is this so-called nation of Israel, or we might get canceled for this, mm-hmm. you know. Uh, mm-hmm. Anything, anything coming out of that is corrupt. You know yeah. what I'm saying? So, I mean, I think he's right when he said the stakes is, you know, if there's going to be an Israeli taking place, <laughs> take, taking part in this competition. I don't even want to be in it. It's, it's too tainted for me to participate. That's how much <laughs> I stand for Palestinians. He said it's too tainted. You know? That means it's real. That means it's real. And that's how serious we got to approach it. You know what mm. I'm saying? That's how we got to approach this situation that we in. Whether the colonialism is hidden or right there in your fucking face, you know what I'm saying? We got to approach it that serious. So, think, yeah, I, I guess I was thinking about why I brought up black Americans, us, you know what I'm saying? Like, I feel like we used to be some, on somewhat at the cutting edge yeah. of, of this, you know, uh, pan-African or, you know, just anti-colonial, like, world resistance. You know mm-hmm. what I'm saying? We used to have a leading part in that that I think we somewhat lost touch with, you know what I'm saying? Because... Uh, 
Yeah, I think we can do a lot more in regards, you know, to, to that. And, uh, yeah, so... But, I mean, there's other parts of the Olympics, you know, to kind of move away from this the, yeah. this week's fire yeah. topic. You know, shout out to Fethi again. But uh, I also noticed, you know, we talked about uh, Shakari a few episodes ago, or maybe last episode. Oh, Shakari. And, uh, of course, her being pushed out of the games for uh, smoking weed after her mother's death, uh, which was stupid. We already talked about that. Yeah. But then come to find out, Aki, <laughs> that Megan Rabinow, uh, from the, the, the Olympic gold medal team, soccer team, women's team. Yeah. She come out this week in a Forbes article talking about, you know, uh, the, 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 the being the new face of cannabis use nah. among athletes <laughs> and, 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 and representing her cannabis business. She has a cannabis business, Aki. She's in the, the emerging cannabis markets. And uh, this come out the same week that, you know, we had to go through, you know, Shakira not being allowed to participate. And, of course, these are all commentaries and all policies that, you know, I think in a profound sense are directed against black Americans generally and about how and, and, and our performances of how these institutions in the wider society feel about us generally. You know what I'm saying? But uh, yeah, yeah, I, yeah. Go ahead, Aki. I, I just, I just trying to figure out how they draw a conclusion that because she smokes some herb, how that's going to enhance her running ability. Rest herb is a, uh, generally used as a relaxer and a chill back. You know what I'm saying? You're not trying to run and, and, and run no track, do that. That you know that what girl was going through stress. You know, um, you know them old anti-smoking commercials, anti-drug commercials where it looked like the old girl was like a deflated balloon on the couch yeah. after she smoked some weed. Yeah. You ain't running fast off no herb. You're not you make, running fast. You know what I'm saying? I, don't, I ain't never hit the blunt and, 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 and wanted to run. Oh, bro. Especially if it's a blunt. You know, you know what I'm saying? Run it to run, period. Yeah. Hell, damn it. A joint. Hit the bone. Whatever. I've never wanted to get up and put on the cross trainers. Heck no. And sprint? And sprint. No, no, no. Yeah, bro, I'm going to go ahead and sprint to the block two, three times back and forth, then I'm going to come back in the house. Chill. I'm going to hit these knees, knees to chest. <laughs> Real talk. Bro, we, you know what I'm saying? That, you, know, you don't do that. So, you know, we already know this is just, uh, they knew the sister was probably going to go in there and test something up. You know what I'm saying? Snatch a couple of records that she ain't already snatched. And, um, you know, it's, it's sad, you know, that on the other hand, now you see these two or this, you know, White woman promoting CBD and cannabis. Is she? Hey, she, I I ain't letting white people get away with this CBD shit. That's weed. You know what I'm saying? Like <laughs> that's the thing. White people will talk to the presses. White people talk to uh, their marketing teams. White people talk at their quarterly meetings about mm. CBD. Yeah. What? That's when white institutions talk about CBD. They yeah. still smoking the shit. They still the regular plant. They, they still loving the leaf. They still loving the leaf. You know what I'm saying? You this know? CBD shit is a marketing ploy, yeah. but it, but it's also white people's how they have this incursion into the market. You know, they they present on the face this safe product that you know uh, is, is is better than what um, you know at, you know what it has been historically identified with African American men yeah. and made them violent. This THC. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Like. Yeah. Even though we know what what this what white you white youth just like all other youth, youth and all the people in this country they all love weed yeah you know what I'm saying so we know that but uh, you know th- still it, th- I think this country is unwilling even despite all the ep- scientific evidence all these con- all these states yeah that are you know what I'm saying uh, making these changes to their marijuana policy I think it, I key is that they 
the society is unwilling to let go of some of this anti-marijuana uh, uh, paranoia because of the utility of it against black people and black well, men. Well, it's too useful. It's too useful to let go. And it's too useful, and one, because it lines the pockets of, one, the prison industrial complex, but then two, you know, it's about the money and it's about it's about the 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 money and the time. So, you know, um this is why you have states it hasn't been given that federal, you know what I'm saying, stamp of approval yet. States are having to be able to adopt this. The feds can still come in and kick your shop open and stuff. They can still come and bag you for that. Even though, you know, you are um legal in the state. Um some states are against it because if they don't do that, they can't pack their prisons and they ain't going to get the votes to be up. You know, it's so much politics that go with this whole thing right here. Um, drugs, or what they call drugs, especially um, things like marijuana, have always been used as a tool to keep uh, black men, specifically, but black people, hinged up in the system. It's always been used as a scapegoat. You know what I'm saying? And when you talk about something as... You know what I'm saying? Uh, to me, as harmless as uh, marijuana. It, it you know, it. I think the masses are pretty much aware of that, but the powers that be, they're gonna and until they can find another alternative, they're gonna try to reap as much as they can out of. It. You know, it's a money market for them. Even them legalizing marijuana to me is a money market for them. You know, because they can tax the shit out of it. And that's what they've been doing. So it's just another way for them to bring revenue. States, it's another way for the states to bring revenue. And it's another way for both white institutions, but also white individuals that make up these institutions to malign black people that they dislike. Mm -hmm. There's white people in the NCAA, probably white women and white men, but I'm thinking about that. I just get a white feminine face for this for some reason. <laughs> but white women in the NCAA, athletic department, whatever, you know what I'm saying? That, uh, I don't know. I don't know, Aki. I don't want to jump in a rabbit hole, but, like, you definitely see these people in these institutions that are unwilling to change their marijuana policy. You know what I'm saying? Like, they are united with this idea and the utility of what, you know, this anti-marijuana uh, paranoia, you know what I'm saying, and, and to prolong it, you know what I'm saying, because, uh, you know, because not only of what it does societally, but also... In a moment where they can, they're gonna malign somebody like a Shakiri. Yeah. You know what I'm saying, and make her out to be some some she's not, or make her an example to uh, you know give give her penalty. You know what I'm saying? I don't know. I mean, to me, it's always gonna be what it always has been, and that's you know they're gonna find a way to malign um, anything, especially when it comes down to their money. You know, I never had a problem. I don't have a problem with that sister smoking the leaf to release your stress after her um, loved one was going through some shit. That's what it's here for. Um, but it's it's it is a it's sort of it's a, it's sort of messed up situation because she was prospect to do a lot of damn things in this Olympics. Yeah, you know what I'm saying. And uh, it make you think and make you feel like it's some type of hidden hand there. You know, working against her. Yeah, for sure. You know, for it sure. Definitely Aki. makes you feel that way. So let's let's keep it moving, man. You know, uh, one last thing on the Olympics, real quick. 
Woke up this morning. Uh, today is uh, July 25th. Hmm. Woke up this morning and I seen that the U.S. team lost uh, their first basketball game. Hmm. Men's team lost against France. Wow. So, uh, man, I, you know, just as a basketball fan, it's kind of surprising. But, you know, then again, it's not because you know how the international teams are stepping up. I think for me, Aki, the only reason I really want to talk about this is to have a reason to make fun of Kevin Durant. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? <laughs> you Kevin Durant hater? I mean, I don't know if I'm a hater. It's just, I, I, I guess I, I'm critical of, you know, I don't know. I, I guess I'm critical of just a lot of the ideas around, like, pop, popular in basketball right now, just in, in terms of what talented individuals mean, in terms of what a talented team is. Yeah, yeah. Of course, Giannis being a talented player, but having a team around him without yeah. other big names, did what they did, they just won the championship. Mm-hmm. But then they put all these big names like a Draymond Green, Damian <laughs> yeah, Lillard, yeah, yeah. Zach Levine, Kevin Durant. Uh, Bam Adebayo on the same squad, and they ain't doing shit. A lot of big names on there. I know the game of each individual pretty well. Yeah. And, and individually, they're great players. Mm. Uh, talented across the world. You know what I'm saying? It don't matter where you look at. I mean, th- yeah. these players are all time, like all time at the top of their game right now. Mm-hmm. But, man, they can't play together as a squad, you know? Hey, hey man. I think that's always been proven, especially in the game of NBA ball. You can stack a team up. Mm-hmm. With some heavy players, but if they can't function as a team, it don't work. What does a team need too, Aki? Every team need this. What? A leader. Yeah, yeah. If yeah. if the leader of the Olympic squad is supposedly gonna be the best player, and yeah. that leader is Kevin Durant, well you got a problem. Kevin yeah. Durant ain't no leader. Yeah. Yeah. And and then uh I mean, you know, they got a ton of scores with their defense at, so a defense is about discipline. All every single one of them players know how to play defense. All every single one of them players can play like it was all star game. They can they can play they can play defense. You know mm-hmm. what I'm saying? But who they gonna play it for? You got to play defense for somebody. Yeah, it takes sacrifice. You know what I'm saying? You, you need a leader to inspire that defense. Man, hopefully they shape it up. You know that ain't looking good. I nah. mean, don't get me wrong though. Like like you say, these other countries are stepping it up. We got a lot of. People in the United States that played in the NBA that be over there playing the Olympics yeah, for their other teams. So. It was a couple of NBA players on that French squad. Nicholas Batum, mm. he's like a six eight, six nine, like shooting guard forward. You know what I'm mm-hmm. saying? He was he was playing nice. Evan Fournier, I think. Rudy Gobert, I heard that name before. He played for the Jazz, big man on the Jazz. He won a few Defensive Player of the Year awards. Mm. So you okay then? See. The, the, the competition is stepping up globally. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, NBA is sort of like an international type league to some extent now. You got people from everywhere up in there. Mm-hmm. So, you know, hopefully they shape it up on the second game. Yeah, hopefully, hopefully. All right, like, so to keep things moving, though, past the Olympics, uh, we want to get into the, the critical race theory part of things. Yeah. And I, I was joking with you before we started the show. We was talking about, like, yo, how are we going to, you know, find a way to – to really talk about uh, CRT or introduce it. And the, the idea I have was, you know, what really prompted us to even talk about it, I think last week when we was kind of planning this out, mm-hmm. I uh, we mentioned that, of course, it's in the news, but also, like, our people, our families, our friends is seeing it in the news yeah. and maybe not aware, not as well read on the subject, mm-hmm. just hear about it. And, you know, a lot, uh, a lot of what's out there, most of what's out there popularly now is mainstream news, Reacting to CRT, yeah, and talk, you know, what I'm saying instead of you know, what I'm saying the critical race theorists like a Derek Bell, the one that formed it, yes, you know, these works and these ideas specifically being addressed. 
you know. So, uh, oh, so th- what what happened was my father, uh, right after he had texted me, he he had sent me a funny ass text message, Aki, about uh, you know, saying he sent me you know the packs that be on some of the earth sometimes, <laughs> some crazy shit. He sent me some Pokemon or something like that. On his, he's like, hey, you got any info on this? <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Uh, so that was funny as hell. But right after that, he was like, uh, critical race. That shit started under the Obama, didn't it? <laughs> you know what I'm saying? He said something like that. <laughs> the critical race started under Obama. He didn't say nothing about no theory or nothing. <laughs> uh, but it was funny because, but, you know, I and, and we had a good chance to talk about it and I, talk about, like, you know, where it came from and, you know, how it's it's been changed and how it's looked at yeah. oh, recently, you know what I'm mm-hmm. saying? And, you know, I talked about where it started at in law. You yeah. know, uh, it, like Derek Bell, he started as somebody, who, a legal scholar. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? And then how, you know, it began to be applied in other areas, other disciplines even. Yeah. Now, uh, critical race theory uh, being applied within education. That's what we're. That's the big debate that we're talking yeah. about right now. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? A lot of the debate is not even about critical race theory itself. It's about should it be taught. It's about should it be taught, even despite not really us knowing what it is. Yeah. But should it be taught in schools? You know what I'm saying? And mm-hmm. what really we're seeing is conservatives <laughs> attach whatever they want to yeah. to uh, say that is critical race theory. Exactly. You know what I'm saying? And then liberals who have not read critical race theory, even mm-hmm. black liberals, black, black integrationists that have yeah. not read critical race theory, react, because that's all they are, are reactionaries. <laughs> they react to the attacks from conservatives and say, no, we should teach critical race theory in school because yada, yada, yada. Yeah. Despite them not knowing that they don't know shit about what critical race theory is. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? And, and, and really, the battle that they're caught up in is really indicative, uh, especially of them not knowing. Because, you know, uh, I mean, maybe to get into it, I'll keep now. It's like one of the main tenets of critical race theory is what? That racism is endemic. It's permanent. It ain't going nowhere. It's always going to be here. Um, it's funny because it's like we shouldn't even be having this discussion with them about teaching this in their school system. This is some shit that just like this is really knowledge that's ex- for us. Mm-hmm. You know, we should know it better than anything. And it, it goes back to the same basic thing I just stated. Critical race theory is real simple. It states that racism is permanent. Mm-hmm. It is a part of American society. It is ingrained in the institutions of it. It is not going anywhere. It's part of the fabric. Yeah. The fabric of it's American here. society. You can, um, it doesn't matter how many white friends you have. You can dye that shirt whatever color you want, Aki, but racism is the fabric. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? It's the uh, what you call the noun. It ain't the adjective. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Yeah. And that's real. You know what I'm saying? Um, yeah, and that's despite how many good white friends you have. Racism is institutional. It's in the institution of this country, and it's not going to go anywhere. Now, that takes us to a certain solution. And you, you can tell that the people that's discussing this today, they really don't want that solution. They, 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 every, they everywhere on it. They everywhere on it. Right. Know? And uh, we're going to get a little bit more into this article later, but Tommy Curry has written uh, several both scholarly articles uh, concerning mm-hmm. critical race theory and also articles for more popular consumption. Uh, one recently called, uh, let's see, Racism and the Equality Delusion. That is on uh, iaiNews.com or, or .tv. 
Uh, also, uh, another one called Can the, R- the Real CRT Please Stand Up? I forget the publication of that one, mm-hmm. but that's a little bit more. Uh, even uh, maybe came out a year ago or something like that. Yeah, about a year. Uh, and, year and a uh, half ago, maybe. Yeah, something like that. But uh, the more recent one is Racism and the Equality Delusion, and that's the one that we read together. Yeah. Uh, also, one that uh, Tia San Johnson did a video covering that's yeah. based in somewhat of our. Uh, conversation today or those are definitely places that you all can go look at yeah for more of a discussion on this topic you know what i'm saying those articles and and those videos by tia San and others and i uh, say and i say this too you but, know the idea of uh, critical race theory it was pretty much it was conceived by Derek bell right you know what i'm saying kimberly crenshaw is the one who named it and uh, yeah, yeah. And, she put a name on it now, Tia San Johnson talks a little bit about that in his video, and I, I, that 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 is an interesting dynamic, you know what I'm saying? Because, um, I mean, of course, Kimberly Crenshaw is uh, a black scholar, also in le- yeah. in the legal field, that went on to create intersectionality. Yeah, you know, and um, you know, and of course, you know, not getting into that, we, you know, we yeah. we talk about that often and critique yeah. that often. We ain't going there. Today. Uh, but I mean, I, let, let's talk about another tenet of critical race theory and where I think a lot of black liberals turn wrong when it comes to critical race theory in, in this in this tenet. Right. What admit, let's, let's start with one before that. Let's mention two tenets. One, it doesn't see any difference. Critical race theory sees no difference between this false dichotomy between liberal and conservative. Yeah. And the Democrat and Republican. Mm-hmm. They see them as both part of the same machine. Yeah. Uh, and, and doing each other's work. You yeah. know what I'm saying? So that's one important tenet of critical race theory. And another one is this idea of interest convergence. Mm. Interest convergence is also a theory developed uh, or part of the uh, you know critical race theory, right? And what is the, what that is saying is that um, the institutions of white America, the, America, the mechanisms uh, that's you know that make it go, that make it go, will only uh, provide uh, alleviation for black suffering, right? Mm-hmm. When it is in its own interest to do so, yeah, you know, and. Uh, but uh, important to recognize within that, you know, the the, the interest is never to provide freedom because that's yeah. not part of the fabric. You know yeah. what I'm saying? But the interest is to really only adapt. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Sort of it, like appeasement. Is so so this interest convergence part of the thesis, right, or the theory? It really gets us away from this liberal type of thinking mm. uh, of saying, you know, integration is the type of uh, progress ethos we need to be seeking out. Where you know, like progress is measured somewhat by uh, you know incorporation into the in, into uh, you know uh, American democracy. You know, it's mm-hmm. so interest convergence. If, if all the concessions that white America makes are not real progress, it's just adaptations. Yeah, that, you know that that can subdue these peak moments of protest energy, yeah. right? You know, then uh, you know that gets us to believe that the issues between black and white people will be will be resolved over time. Yeah, and we know that to be false. That's definitely false. Um, we've already had a type of change in in in, in race relations. You know, far as um, hip hop did a lot of that. You know, um, that doesn't change the institutions. Right, and and I think that that is where a lot of intersectionality folks, you know, especially yeah. in the mainstream, they take interest convergence, you know, what I'm saying, uh, and assume that it's that they they assume somewhat that that 
they, they don't, I think, recognize that adaptation part of it. That yeah. it's just adaptations, right? Mm-hmm. They they kind of see it as an opportunity. Yeah. If we can just get their interest to converge with ours, or yeah. if we can convince them, if we can convince white people and white institutions that it is it, it is better for them yeah. to provide us equality because yeah. of what we provide for them, you know what I'm saying, things will heal it, it, itself. You know, things can progress over time. I think that's mm-hmm. where a lot of the mistakes is being made. Because, you know, a lot of this, you know, we talked about it before, a lot of intersectionality is a job fair about why you need to hire us to diversify your shit. You know what I'm saying? that You you need a black so-and-so voice, yeah. you know what I'm saying, in this white-ass, historically white-ass <laughs> capitalist company, you know what I'm saying, yeah. or institution. Yeah. Uh, but, you know, all this is ignorant, arrogantly even, yeah. of Derrick Bell saying that, no, this country is permanently racist and the efforts to change it, you know what I'm saying? Well, they're not going to go there because... CRT, critical race theory, is, was born out of black radical tradition. You know, it comes out of the ideas of um, black nationalism. Um, it is something that's born out of a, or I used to say a, set, a settler colonial type idea. You know, it only could, it, to me, it can only really apply in that scenario. It is something exclusive, not, I don't want to say exclusive to us, but it was definitely conceived out of our experience here. And so, most of the people who are throwing out this critical race theory right now, these liberals, they don't even believe in that. They don't have that understanding. They're not coming from that foundation. You know, they're just looking at us as a little community here in the United States. They don't see us as going a colonial or colonized people or having a colonial type existence here in North America, especially historical wise. So um, even though they may acknowledge slavery, they don't still look at it as a colonial a, a part of the colonial apparatus. And, I mean, you can see this in the works of even black so-called radical folk, you know what I'm saying, or people mm-hmm. that identify as black radicals. Right. Yeah. Uh, and I'm thinking about Kianga Yamata Taylor. Mm-hmm. You know, they wrote the book uh, from Black Lives Matter, from Black Lives Matter to Black Liberation. Mm-hmm. And I think the second edition is coming out this year. I read this book probably over five times. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? Because it's you know one of the books that tries to understand this period. Yeah. And of course, a lot of my ideas run counter to uh, Kianga Yamata Taylor's. Yeah. But um, you know, it's within that book where you know she saves it for the end of the book. But uh, this is so-called a black radical person, right? Yeah. But in the last chapter of the book, she tells the readers why she doesn't believe that black people are colonized. Hmm. In the last chapter, she puts the, her theory on our condition. In the last chapter of a book trying to understand this moment, mm-hmm. that should be telling for you right there. Yeah. But in that last chapter, she explains in a paragraph or two in a non-scientific way, if you read it, Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? I wish I had it right here next to me. I could quote it for the readers, but believe me, trust me on this show. Yeah. Uh, she, she, you know, she says that we're not a colonized people, and she makes some, uh, you know, very short, unclear statement as to why, as far mm-hmm. as some obscure reference to our economic condition. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? But she, but it, it mirrors in no way the analysis of people that, of course, believe we are in a colonized state. Yeah. Like many black, even black Marxists believe that. You know what yeah. I'm saying? Uh, so uh, her her ideas run contrary, but, you know, she's an intersectional thinker, a black feminist scholar yeah. of the highest order and prestige right now. You mm-hmm. know what I'm saying? That doesn't believe we're a colonized people. I mean, so, I mean, th- th- this is how much influence, you know, the non-colonial position 
knock, you know, the, the, the position that denies where colonized has. I mean, well, you know what I'm so, so, I mean, what does that mean for in terms of, you know, like, you must honestly believe, it, if you don't believe we're a colonized situation, then you do somewhat believe that these things between black and white people are going to be resolved. Mm-hmm. I mean, like, um, I've heard some people mention, like, they don't believe we are colonized anymore. But to actually say that the actual institution of chattel slavery, um, and, and really hard not to include everything else, Jim Crow, redlining, and all these other things, are of people, you know, at you know, are, yeah. Even if you, you to the to the extent that you don't even want to think that now nah, that don't even make sense. Yeah, we are we 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 are colonial people. We were, were colonized we were, people. We were born. You know what I'm saying in a in a, a in a in a colonial state. Um, we were were brought here by corporations and enslaved as workers in a workforce in a nation. If we're not an internal colony of a settler colonial state, then do you believe we're just uh, potential Americans? That's the alternative, Aki. You know. If we're not colonized, then you see us as potential, maybe Americans, where mm-hmm. some people do become accepted within America, mm-hmm. and and you know maybe as a group, maybe potentially will be that. Yeah. That's the only alternative to, to see yeah. this, because you you either believe in this incremental process, progress towards our integration into Western society, as if Aki, that's something that's something that we should want, mm-hmm. or that you know that that that's you know. That that is part of that liberal democratic political ideal that CRT is supposed to critique and get us off of. Yeah, you know what I'm saying. No, our our progress should not be measured by our integration into this society. Well, I mean that's that sort of just explains even though why we why we shouldn't even really be having this conversation about teaching this shit in their schools. Exactly. So exactly, Aki. Yeah. I, I agree. I agree. I, I think CRT should be illuminating to us that it is somewhat inevitable that this will never be taught and why are we wasting so much of our energy you know what i'm saying trying to you, you know, know convince yeah. these institutions to teach i mean to the most maybe the hbcus if the hbcus was on a you know even that shouldn't be the center of it yeah, it, it needs shouldn't to be, be the center i mean it should like it, it should be on a, a regular everyday common folk level mm-hmm. you know but if it's going to be an institution that's already there, at least it should be taught at um, HBCUs. And that's up to them to take that task. And I will say that they probably do teach a little bit. of You you run across it in there amongst some of those scholars that teach in those schools. Mm -hmm. But we don't need to be going to them and arguing for them to teach this shit in public schools and stuff. Like, I mean... No, they're not going. And, but it, and a lot of the black liberals defending so-called CRT have not read it because they don't believe some of the findings and analysis of actual critical race theory. Yeah. Because let, let's actually read this quote from this uh, Tommy Curry article that we mentioned, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, about So this is Curry's writing on uh, critical race theory and, and what Derrick Bell was influenced on, right? So this is a quote from the article. It goes, Influenced by the black radical tradition of black militancy and semi-colonial analysis, Derrick Bell came to believe that racism was a permanent and unchanging aspect of American society. Bell insisted that civil rights legislation and initiatives 
were merely symbolic. And even those Herculean efforts we hail as successful will produce no more than temporary peaks of progress. Short-lived victories that slide into irrelevance as racial patterns adopt in ways that maintain white dominance. Mm. And so let's the the second half of that, you know, when he says Bell insisted that civil rights legislation and initiatives were merely symbolic, who's the black nationalist leader that who, who taught us that on a popular popular level mm-hmm. first? Mm-hmm. Good old Malcolm. Malcolm X. Yeah, good old Malcolm. He was the he he put that forward in the most popular way. So I think Curry is right in his analysis of Bell. Yeah. You know, in, in terms of what critical race theory is, is is coming from, it's that militancy and semi-colonial analysis that Malcolm X gave us. Yes. Uh, in so many ways, of course, we can talk about where Malcolm X got it from. I don't mean to say he's no, the, I mean, he's a starter. We, we heard it from Malcolm. We got we got it from Malcolm, though. Yeah. You know. Um, so it, are 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 the, are the black liberals they got on mainstream news Malcolmites? Fuck I, no. I doubt that. You know no. what I'm saying? But no, they're so reactionary that they feel whatever a Trumpian says about me, I have to be the opposite. Or, well, or, or, or I have to defend myself against well, it, in, I, I in, mean, in those terms. The very fact that they wanted to be taught into the United States cool school system it. that actually, that, that, that miseducates their children mm-hmm. is, is integrationist to me from the jump. Um, the conclusion of critical race theory, to some extent, is separation, mm-hmm. separate institutions, self-reliance or, you know what I'm saying, self-interest-based community, you know what I'm saying, self-interest. Like, the alternative is not to go deeper into the system. The alternative is the meaning that you have to create separate institutions and apparatuses to get shit done in the United States because you can't trust the United States government to do right by you. Right. Um... And I always like to use this as an example. I don't think black people, black well, black people, African Americans in the United States were betrayed by the United States. And everybody always forgets the betrayal. Mm-hmm. And and that was the one of the biggest things that showed us that you can't trust them, you know. And so, um, the belief in um, this American Americanism, as Malcolm X used to call, he used to call it Americanism. Sometimes we say the American dream or whatever, is illusional. Because racism is here, and it's in the institutions. And that also means that the only way that you can actually change racism in here is you have to go that real revolutionary alternative, Mm -hmm. which is the actual changing of the system. Mm -hmm. And that shit don't happen peacefully. So, you know what I'm saying? That's a great segue, Aki. So let's actually bring in Fanon. He's writing about Algeria, right? And Algeria trying to get the colonizers off off of them. Mm -hmm. You know what I'm saying? So... When we talk about colonialism, you know, uh, oftentimes what me and you have done in this podcast, you know, we approach it to see it's uh, how it's a it's a it's a uh, cultural warfare. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? And we do highlight the cultural aspects of colonialism. Yeah. And uh, interestingly enough, Fanon, in the first chapter of his book, of his book, A Dying Colonialism, where he's Mm -hmm. writing about the Algerian revolution against colonialism, he talks about... uh, you know, he talks about this, uh, you know, the the way that the French officials and the, the West yeah. sought to drive out the national culture of Algerian people. And when he talks about colonial violence and mm. the origins of it, the beginning of it, we're going to see that Franz Fanon has a very gendered analysis, a very gendered analysis of, he was colonial, ahead of, his time. of colonial violence, right? 
And uh, so we're going to see in the first chapter of the, of the book of Dying Colonialism uh, why we have somewhat the frame that we have that we have going into, you know, a discussion of what we believe to be a colonized state condition that we are in as a people. And yeah. we take it, we we attempt to take it that seriously, Aki. Mm-hmm. Now, I think some of the people that deny that we're colonized, they do so because they want to deny what the, the implications of that means for us gender-wise yeah. and sexuality-wise. Yeah. They want to deny some of those implications if we're a colonized people. This is not just us progressing into our colonizer's gender system. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Because, or, or are you saying that we have the same gender system of our, as our colonizers? Yeah. And that, you know, this is supposed to be the progressive evolutionary state that we need to uh, evolve into? Mm-hmm. No, I, I, think <clears throat> a, I think a Franz Fanonian uh, ontological view or view of the world separates, yeah. it causes us to separate the colonizer's world versus the oppressor or the colonized world. And there is no shared, uh, 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 friendly uh, gender system shared between a colonizer and a colonized, you know. And we're going to see why he says that. Franz Fanon explains why that is in this first chapter. You know what I'm saying? So uh, let's actually just, just uh, pick up and read. Or do you want to say anything before we get started? I would want to say that these are strategies and tactics of colonialism. Mm-hmm. This is how colonialism slowly but surely weaves its way into the masses of the people and sets it up for overthrow. Mm-hmm. Um France Fanon was ahead of his damn time. Yep. You know, um, and it's funny because everybody always liked to tout about Fanon. They love to talk about Fanon and his, his politics. But people skip over this shit. Oh, yeah. You know. They skip over um, this whole book. And it's crazy because it's in the first chapter. So you can't say, like, you ain't run across it. Right. But I understand, like some other people, too, that sometimes when you're not looking for something in the book, you might go over it. And you could read it a couple of damn times. So I give them, you know. But, but mm. also, I think some people are in a state of denial. <laughs> I think. So you, say, you say, nah, nah, Keith, some of these people are in denial about that. And, and you're right. They are. I mean, you're right, because it doesn't fit with the current climate. But it does fit with the current climate. It does, yeah. As far as what's accepted by white institutions, it doesn't fit. Yeah. But as far as what our people are waiting for, yeah, this is what our people are waiting for. Mm-hmm. An, an analysis that tells the truth about colonialism. I and, mean, that, and that's what's missing from the black political mainstream right now. Honesty about colonialism and how it affects us across gender. I mean, it's... it's, it's, so, uh, it's I just say this. That, that can be seen, what he's going to speak about in there. It can be seen today. Mm-hmm. Like like the tactic and the strategy that was employed by the colonizer. Oh, yeah. You're going to be able to see... You can see how those same tactics was applied to us even today and in the past. Yes, sir. So let's get started on it. So I'm reading from page 36 of the first chapter. This is actually the second page of the, of the first chapter. Uh, and the previous pages are the preface and the introduction. So in the first chapter of this book is called Algeria Unveiled. And when he's speaking about the veil, he's speaking about the, the garb that women uh, would wear in Algeria. The, the Muslim hijab, women, the hijab. Exactly, the, what that, the part that covered their face. Mm-hmm. So that's what he's speaking about. So they kind of hop in here. This, this is Franz Fanon. He says, we shall see that this veil, one of the elements of the traditional Algerian garb, was to become the bone of contention in a grandiose battle on account of which the occupation forces 
were to mobilize their most powerful and most varied resources, and in the course of which the colonized were to display a surprising force of inertia. Taken as a whole, colonial society, with its values, its areas of strength, and its philosophy, reacts to the veil in a rather homogeneous way, in a, in, in a similar way across the colonizer group, right? And also, I, I think the pause here, he also is laying out that this is a dialectic, right? Mm-hmm. That, that this is part of a dialectic as far as the garb is, is, is becoming a phenomenon or object in which the, the opposing sides of this dialectic between the colonizer and colonizer are repositioning themselves. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? Of course, the colonizer is is you know and somewhat the the origin of this violence you know what i'm saying this violent situation of of course so uh but you know to keep it going taken as a whole colonial society with its values its areas of strength and its philosophy reacts to the veil in a rather homogeneous way the decisive battle the decisive battle was launched before 1954 more precisely, during the early 1930s. The officials of the French administration in Algeria committed to destroying the people's originality and under instructions to bring about the disintegration at whatever cost of forms of existence likely to evoke a national reality, directly or indirectly, were to concentrate their forces on the wearing of the veil which was looked upon at this juncture as a symbol of the status of the Algerian woman. So he's saying that the uh, experts of the colonial society, you know what I'm saying, that were tasked with destroying anything that evoked a sense of nationalism, a sense mm-hmm. of separation, separate pride, a separate, yeah. separate peoplehood, a separate existence from the colonizer. Yep. They wanted to, to, to cancel out any ideas of being that you are separate from the colonizer. Mm-hmm. Right? That's what Franz Fanon is saying. He's saying they targeted the veil because it, in their minds, it represented uh, the Algerian women, the feminine ideal of Algerian society and Algerian society as a whole. Mm-hmm. The veil was the conduit through which yeah. the valve or uh, the funnel through which the colonizer group approached Algerian society, right? So such a position is not the consequence of chance intuition. This ain't just come out of nowhere, y'all. It is on the basis of the analyses of sociologists and ethnologists that the specialist in so-called native affairs and the heads of the Air Bureau coordinated their work. It is on the basis of the analysis of experts, hmm. not just uh, 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 layman terms, not just uh, uh, casual knowledge, right? They had it, think tanks. Exactly. It is, and this is where we have to indict the educational system of our society. Mm-hmm. It is the experts of colonial society that that find that that are uh, at the forefront mm-hmm. of developing these disintegrating and destructive terms for our national culture. Mm-hmm. It is the white uh, educational institutions from kindergarten all the way up to graduate education yeah. that are at the forefront of the ideas that destroy our national culture as a colonized group. Mm-hmm. That's what Fanon is saying here. So, 
At an initial stage, there was a pure and simple adoption of the well-known formula. Quote, let's win, and this is all a quote, but this is for known quoting the colonizer. Let's win over the women and the rest will follow. Hmm. This definition of policy merely gave a scientific coloration to the discoveries of the sociologists. Mm. So let's keep it going. Uh, I'm going to skip ahead just a little bit. So this enabled... Actually, let, let's let's read this paragraph. Let me just keep it, keep it in line. We're just going to spend our time with this. We have some time. So beneath the patrilineal pattern of Algerian society, the specialist, or these academics, right? Yeah described a structure of matrilineal essence. Hmm. So he's saying despite the patrilineal pattern that's observable, yeah. that specialists came in and they sought to highlight and put on a pedestal, right? And a colonial view from a colonial vantage point, the 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 matrilin the the matriarchy, the matrilineal yeah. aspects, the feminine aspects Mm-hmm. The colonial group came in and sought to highlight that as a way to weed themselves in, right, mm-hmm. for destructive means. So let's see what Hafenon kind of uh, makes this argument. He gets in depth with it. So I'm gonna I'm gonna read for a second. So beneath the patrilineal pattern of Algerian society, the specialists described a structure of matrilineal essence. Arab society has often been rep- ha- has often been presented by Westerners. I'll say it again. Arab society has often been presented by Westerners as a formal society in which outside appearances are paramount. So Westerners believe that outside appearances are paramount in understanding mm-hmm. Arab culture. That's not how Arabs feel about themselves. Yeah. What they show to outside is not the, the best way for you to understand yeah. <laughs> them as a people. That's the, the point here, right? The Algerian woman... An intermediary between obscure forces and the group appeared in this perspective to assume a primordial importance. Mm. So from the vantage point of the colonizer, they put uh, the Algerian woman as this intermediary. Right. Mm-hmm. So let's keep it going. Behind the visible manifest patriarchy, the more significant existence of a basic matriarchy was affirmed. Mm. Affirmed by these specialists, right? The role of the Algerian mother, that of the grandmother, the aunt, and the old woman were inventoried and defined. Mm. So the colonizer group comes into the situation. Recategorizes your shit. They re- exactly. They recategorize their shit, your shit because they understand to categorize is to have power. To, to, if to you name have, something is to identify something. Exactly. What is power? The ability to define phenomena. Who, I don't know mm-hmm. who said that before. But I, I've heard that. But power is the ability to define phenomena. Yeah. If you can define what a phenomena, something that everybody's able to witness, you know, something that happens, a phenomena, mm-hmm. you know what I'm saying? If you're able to define that, you have power. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? Because other people, you know, are waiting for that definition of phenomena. This is why leaders are important, because they define phenomena in, 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 a, in a way that is, is essentially has to be funneled in some way, because mm-hmm. groups of people cannot all speak at the same time. Yeah. Large groups of people cannot speak at the same time. Yeah. I mean, it's just, uh, uh, you see all of that stuff playing out. You know what I'm saying? Um, especially when you start talking about um, how the colonizer is taking views of the people from the outside looking in. 
They don't they don't even understand the culture. They have to understand Arab culture and understand Islamic culture. And it's funny because you got to think, they've been in that area for a long time. Mm -hmm. So I think a lot of it was based, you know, it already came with a bias, you know what I'm saying, um, of a colonizer, you know. And then it's ironic that they go directly at the women. It's often said that women are carriers of culture. So, exactly, but who who gave that that thought to us? You know, we have to start questioning who gave that thought to us. You know what mm-hmm. I'm saying? Not saying it's not true. I think yeah. both, but I think both, you know, men and women, males and females are carriers of culture. Mm-hmm. But there's, uh, it's part of, Fernanda saying it's part of the colonial logic to specifically define women as the carriers of culture, mm-hmm. as opposed to other people in this group. Yeah, women yeah. are the carriers of culture. That's a colonial logic. Well, well, let's think of this. That's a colonial logic based in their colonial strategy. Exactly. See, see, they're there to conquer. Right. So even though it may be something, if you look at all other um, cultures, you do see that the, the you know the mother passes it on to the children. Mm-hmm. Um, so let, let, let's dig yeah. into Fanon because Fanon gets into more about why they target women. You know, he, uh, we, we got more to get through. So. This enabled, so this uh, privileging of the feminine by the colonizer, right? Fernand says, this enabled the colonial administration to define a precise political doctrine. Precise. Now, again, let's let's remind people, Fernand is saying that this is the most decisive battle within the colonial war. And it came decades before the physical war. And it was mm-hmm. the most decisive. And he's saying it, it inaugurated a precise political doctrine, right? Mm -hmm. So the most initial forms of colonial violence, what is the precise political doctrine? Fanon says, if we want to destroy the structure of Algerian society, its capacity for resistance, we must first of all conquer the woman. We must go and find them behind the veil where they hide themselves and in the houses where the men keep them out of sight. It is the situation of woman that was accordingly taken as the theme of action. Damn. The dominant administration solemnly undertook to defend this woman, pictured as humiliated, sequestered, and cloistered. It described the immense possibilities of woman, unfortunately transformed by the Algerian man into an inert, demonetized, indeed dehumanized object. He's saying that part of the colonial propaganda that disunited, unwed Algerian women from Algerian society for the colonial violence they wanted to do, right? Mm-hmm. They're saying part of this was that, that they put into these women, Algerian women, the idea that Algerian men were demonetizing you. Mm. You could be worth more on the open market. What does that sound like? You could be worth more in the open market. That sounds like OnlyFans. <laughs> but <laughs> they keep going before I get into trouble. Uh, the behavior of the Algerian was very firmly denounced and described as medieval and barbaric. Oh, you nigga, you living in the past. Mm-hmm. You know, we're modern women. Let's talk about it. Yeah. So with infinite science... Fanon is so funny here. He, he He's poking fun right at the colonial system, right? Mm. He says, with infinite science, <laughs> I, I need to read it like that, you know what yeah. I'm saying? With infinite science, a blanket indictment against the st- sadistic, quote, s- quote sadistic and vi- vampirish, 
Let me read that sentence again because he's deep. So he says, with infinite science, a blanket indictment against the, quote, sadistic and vampirish, unquote, Algerian attitude toward women was prepared and drawn up. So the experts drew up the plans about how we're going to cast Algerian society and Algerian men as sadistic and vampirish. Mm. So around the family life of the Algerian, the, the occupier piled up a whole mass of judgments, appraisals, reasons, accumulated antidotes, and edifying examples, thus attempting to confine the Algerian within a circle of guilt. Mm. And that's what you see black politics still responding to. Even in American society, this circle of guilt. Hmm. Our politics now are stuck in a circle of guilt instead of doing what we need to do to, to free ourselves from and, and, and free up any, even space from colonialism. We're so caught up in this circle of guilt that mm. they inspired within us. This is this shit is deep. You know what I'm saying? I mean, I'm gonna say this. You know, that man right there just threw out some shit that's, that technically was going on that, that we seen happen to some extent in our lifetime. It's crazy how people talk about Fanon all the time, but they don't... Re I mean, th this right here is so you know, connected to our modern day. He pretty much said that he's turned to Algerian women. The plan was to turn the Algerian women against the Algerian men. Let's keep it going, because... I mean, we say that. We're, I mean, that's a, let, let's keep on reading, because Fanon is speaking for himself and saying that, too. You yeah. know what I'm saying? It's crazy, bro. So, mutual aid societies. Think about mm. our modern corollary. I mean, they're still around, but, I mean, think about all the different forms that takes, you know, mm -hmm. philanthropy nowadays. Yeah. And, and this white liberal philanthropist, like, system. Mm. You know what I'm saying? So, mutual aid societies and societies to promote solidarity with Algerian women sprung up in great number. Mm. So, at, that's... At, <laughs> as, as, <laughs> listen, Aki, as part of the colonial battle advance... As part of the advanced army of colonialism, mm. mutual aid societies and societies to promote solidarity with Algerian women specifically sprang up in great number. Mm. That sounds like the BLM movement. <laughs> you know, BLM movement. Funded by white liberal mutual aid societies, right? Yeah. And it's a, it was about protecting women. You know, so much of it was about protecting women and queer folks against this the sadistic and whatever... A uh, black man that's not yeah. that is not intersectional enough. I don't want to. I don't want to go too far there because we're focused on what Fanon is saying, mm. as opposed to applying it so much to our situation. But current situation. If, yeah. if you a black man in this country that has any amount of consciousness, you you hear the profoundness of what Fanon is saying for our yeah. situation. Yeah. So I, we don't even need to stress it. Let, <laughs> let, let's keep going. Uh, mutual aid societies and societies to promote solidarity with Algerian women spring up in great number. Lamentations were organized. Think about how much they lamentate. Black girl magic. <laughs> He's crazy. Oh, wow. This dude's a genius. <laughs> he, said, <laughs> he said lamentations were organized. And that's the whole sentence. That's, the, that's, one, <laughs> that's one sentence. He said lamentations were organized. And then he has a quote, again, in, in, in this funny way, I believe, quoting what he says is the colonial administration, right? Quote, we want to make the Algerian ashamed of the fate that he meets out to women. Right? He says, lamentations were organized. Quote, we want to, he's speaking as the colonizer now, mm -hmm. we want to make the Algerian ashamed of the fate that he meets out to women. And that's what 
That's what they want. They they want black men to perform a shame and a guilt yeah. that gets in the way of our actual politics, mm-hmm. right? That's and that's what BLM came to represent so yeah, much. Pretty much, and 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 yeah. Damn, that shit is it's deep, bro. So, <laughs> Dang. so let's keep it going. Let's keep it going. This was a period of evanescence of putting into application a whole technique of infiltration in the course of which droves of social workers and women directing charitable works descended on the Arab quarters. Mm. Descended on the Arab quarters. White women. Come on. Come on, Aki. <laughs> so he, he says the indigent and famished women, and he speaks ironically all the time, right? And mm. a, a special part about this work, Fanon never... In, in this specific chapter, I see really takes time to defend Algerian culture and Algerian women mm. against this attack. He only speaks and responds ironically to to these colonial ideas. You know what I'm saying? So when when Fanon says here that indigenous and famished women were the first to be uh, besieged, you know what I'm saying? Like mm-hmm. I think he's pointing some fun at it, it, it. This these are the condition of these women. As presented to them from a colonial vantage point, yeah. to the colonizer yeah. from their colonial vantage point, right? So the indigenous and famous women were the first to be besieged. Every kilo of semolina distributed was accompanied by a dose of indignation against the veil and the cloister. Indignation was followed up by practical advice. Algerian women were invited to play a quote functional capital role unquote in the transformation of their lot. That's the whole mammy stereotype from that existed since slavery. Mm. It's going to be the feminine, right? Yeah. That is supposed to play the pivotal role in corralling the labor, the black male yeah. labor, the to participate in this Into colonial submission. plantation, right? Yeah. White. So we see the connection Into again obedience. to obedience to to the to our to our situation, right? So uh, let's see a capital role. They were pressed to say no to a centuries-old subjugation. Right, re, re like recasting their own yeah. history, you know, to for these women from a colonial vantage point. The immense role they were called upon to play was described to them. Hmm. They didn't learn it from themselves. Yeah, they, they didn't col- come from themselves. Colonizers described their role to them. The colonial administration invested great sums in this combat. Mm. Fanon says the colonial administration invested great sums in this combat, and you see it in the things that they fund today. Black feminist studies in every damn university. And that, that's not money to say being that there's no, there's no revolutionary black feminism. There certainly is. There are certain... The emphasis, the overemphasis of it in the institutions. Right. And, yeah, you, you see the ethic on the part of the colonial institution, mm-hmm. of, of, of the colonial system. And, and our institution and our college system is to some extent a and it, colonial, Oh, it's part of that. It's, yeah, not, it's, it's a not colonial just system. A, it's yeah. not just an indirect part. It's, it's like we said before... It's it's that educated the educational institutions form you know uh, you know a strong part of this mm-hmm. you know what I'm saying and we see we talked about it briefly. And he talks about the experts you it's, know? That, it's yeah. the experts it's the academics it's the sociologists right mm-hmm. it's mm-hmm. the professors that teach at these colleges and also make these stupid ass studies god damn that dude was ahead of his time boy I'm <laughs> bruh and we, everything we talk about Prophetic. is right here in this chapter so uh, let's see the colonial administration invested great sums in this combat. After it had been posited that the women constituted the pivot of Algerian society. So let me read that again. After it had been posited, that means like making a hypothesis, making that a theory. Change. Right. So after the colonial, uh, and these white colonizers, whether they be doctors, social scientists, whatever, 
after they had posited that the woman constituted the pivot of Algerian society, all efforts were made to obtain control over her. So mm. once they were able to convince their group and the other group, you know what I'm saying, somewhat, that the woman is the pivot point, then I think the urgency to control that woman because they want to control this territory came about. Joe Biden and his presidency. So <laughs> the Algerian, it was assured, would not stir, would resist the task of cultural destruction undertaken by the occupier, would oppose assimilation so long as his woman had not reversed the stream. Mm. In the colonialist program, it was the woman who was given the historic mission of shaking up the Algerian man. Mm. Converting the woman, he says converting the woman, winning her over to the foreign values, wrenching her free from her status, was at the same time achieving a real power over the man and attaining a practical, effective means of destructing Algerian culture. Mm. And we can stop there as far as, you know, today's reading. That man... That don't make no sense. It don't make no sense, Aki. That's prophetic right there. And it's scientific. It's scientific, but it's prophetic. Exactly. Like, that us to the T. That's the black community in the United States of America to the T. He just gave us a, a, a he just gave us a Jew, told us co- co- colonial colonizer strategy. Strategy, and it, this is not for. And we have to say again, for Fernon, the gendered approach that colonialism takes in trying to mm. disunite and target women, colonize women for assimilation, for better control of the group. That this for him is not just some tertiary, secondary part of colonialism. Yeah. For him, it's the most decisive battle that takes place before a physical battle. And that's the cultural. It's the cultural. The cultural revolution takes place before the others. The cultural change or the attack on the people has normally started from the cultural aspect. Mm -hmm. Um, Think about it. Europeans first came to Africa. They wasn't able to just come in Africa and conquer. They went in and brought their products and all of their appetites and things from Mm -hmm. their culture, which altered the African culture and made them develop appetites and wants for things that they did not before and it also made them do things to acquire to get them and the same thing here in North America you know we here in North America right now and the colonizer has definitely used this tactic and mm. disorganizing the black community exactly right we see it and we talk about it often on this channel you don't believe it listen to our previous episodes yeah. you know what I'm saying <laughs> but but I think to connect this to previous topics right you know, this right here and laying out how th- these dynamics work, you know what I'm saying? We know that Malcolm X was influenced by Fanon. Mm-hmm. And, and I mean, that's why Malcolm X started talking about colonialism yeah. and world revolution and things like that. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, and we know that CRT, like we learned about before, and Derek Bell was influenced by Malcolm X and that semi-colonial analysis yeah. of black and black militancy that, that of course, Malcolm X forwarded. Yeah. So it's no surprise that Tommy Curry, who wrote the article on Derrick Bell and CRT, mm-hmm. is somebody who also is closely aligned to uh, some of Fernon's analysis of uh, colonialism and gender. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? And, uh, you know, even, uh, you know, where, 
you know, some of uh, Tommy Curry's students is writing dissertations on Fanon. Yeah. You know, so th- this work, you know, it's connected. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Like uh, the view uh, that, you know, we're li- we live in a semi-colonial state and uh, these dynamics of gender, colonial relations, or really warfare, as yeah. Fanon talks about it, you know, it really puts things into perspective for us. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, it, it, it definitely, it definitely, like I said, definitely spells out a lot of what we've seen um, in our current world and even what we have been taught and told about and studied from the past. And, um, you know, that chapter right there can be talked about later, you know, like, for a while. Because there's so many jewels that's in that right there. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and we kind of stopped early. So, I mean, of course, he mentioned it in a little bit of what we read, but we didn't get to it in this actual uh, chapter. But the part of, about how Algerian men and women came together to use the veil in a uh, in, in a way to resist mm-hmm. and use it against the colonizer. Yeah. That's the most beautiful part of that chapter. You know what I'm saying? We had to lay out the framework in this part of the discussion because, yeah. you know, we have lost our way. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? We have lost our way and, and have not incorporated that aspect of Fanon into, into what we're doing right now. Mm. You know what I'm saying? Like, we're unwilling to accept uh, uh, that in, in a popular way, in a mainstream way within our politics. Mm. Uh, that colonial violence in the colonial world operates in, in such a way. You know what I'm saying? Where, you know, the like, Fanon is saying in, in so many words here, right, that colonial violence in, in, in its origin you know, uh, it seeks to marginalize or exclude racialized men. Yeah. And and, to, and and improve its power, you know what I'm saying, into their territory through the incorporation of racialized women. Yeah. Uh, uh, now, that has some direct corollaries, or if you remember our discussion about social dominance theory. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? So uh, the connections there. Now, some work on my end that I need to do is read more about social dominance theory and, and if James Sedanus... Uh, talks about Fanon in his work at all. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? Cites Fanon. Uh, if he cited him at all in, in his work, of course, Jim Sedan has previously passed uh, this year. But, uh, you know, so th- that's kind of where I'm at in, in improving my own knowledge about this. I mean... Uh, but, uh, but yeah, Aki, uh, all that to say, you know, you know, we got to get serious. You know, yeah. j- j- just like our, our brother Fethi at the beginning of this episode, yeah. when when he's an Algerian brother, right? Mm-hmm. When he said uh, what he said about, you know, I'm not going to participate if, you know, this colonizer in Israel is participating as well. This is a farce. And you got to remember, too, he probably very much connected to Fanon in, in the sense of that when Fanon was writing that, that was probably in the, what, the 19, what? 40s, uh, 50s, uh, no, 50, uh, late 50s, late late, late 50s, 50s and 60s. Because this yeah. was right around the time because uh, Algeria was they was running with Nkrumah and them too. Mm-hmm. Um, he was saying a lot of different stuff. Those people, you know, what I'm saying he was raised. Algeria's always had that nationalistic pride. That was one of the places that they thought they would be able to impregnate with colonialism, and it didn't work out for them. Mm-hmm. Um, but even now in this time. And era, you know what I'm saying? We definitely have to touch back on this chapter because that's the catch. Uh, developing a um, understanding that they use that against the system. Now, the catch is, is this. Um, they responded in time before the appetite for the system was developed. 
And I think with us is that we've been saturated here for so long that we developed the appetite. So that's just a part of the problem we're going to have to fix. Ours is going to be a little bit different because we are, you know, in a different situation. But mm-hmm. it definitely shows the colonizer's tactics. His tactics ain't changed. And right. they were using the same damn tactics every damn way. I think the tactic and the strategy is so much the same, bro. I think technology has been the biggest change. Yeah, and, and technology yeah. has, you know, of course opened up ways of resistance, but it's also made the pressure and the weight of their propaganda so much heavier and constant. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? And, the, and, the, the propaganda, the colonial propaganda against our, our, our national culture is so constant and everywhere. Mm-hmm. It's embedded just like racism. I mean, we say racism is endemic and part of every institution. Yeah. So, I mean, what is ra- racism is this kind of colonial violence that we're talking about. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? And and racism acts in, you know, this um, you know, in this way that of course targets, you know, uh the black community and and, and black men in unique ways, but you know, I, you know, Fernanda's talking about the way that a colonizing group attacks black women in unique mm. ways as well and some of those ways include an increased use of assimilation yeah you know what i'm saying i mean and he i mean the european did that even in ancient times um when he came to the coast of africa you know he didn't come there and just conquer that place he first started dealing with the 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 um you know the the rulership kings um the nobility and then he started dealing with merchants he didn't. He had to get access to trade routes, and in a lot of those cases, the only way you can get access, how did you make a a contract back then? You give up. You, you get have somebody marry one of your daughters. You know what I'm saying? These, these they've always used. They came in and made a tactic. It's it's something that they've always done. It's something that's an ancient tactic. It's just done in different ways in different scenarios. So it's like it just shows the mentality of a conqueror and what he will do. And the Europeans' colonialism is no different than any other conqueror on the planet. He just threw a little bit of, he created something with race and put it in there. And now we in America, we're dealing with this situation, having this argument about critical race theory in the damn school system, I mean, about incorporating it in the school system and things of that such nature. You know, Fanon, Fanon is needed right now needed bro <laughs> it's really needed right now you know but um i mean that's all i got for it today right here you know? yeah I, th- I think that's a good stopping point i mean you said it best fanon is needed right now hopefully that we you know hopefully we convince you of some somewhat of that today in this episode and yeah i hope you enjoyed our conversation on you know uh, critical race theory colonialism and, mm. and, and gender and race, you know what I'm saying? Hopefully we operate. made it simple for y'all so y'all don't get caught up into all of this other stuff. You know exactly what it's about. Right. And uh, yeah, definitely pick up a dying colonialism read more of it for yourself too if you get a chance. So with that, I'm going to say free to land. Free to land and peace. Peace y'all.